Mike Broomhead, quick question. Yes. We seem to count down with at least one story every day, you know, six days yeah. until the election, five days until. So after election day, we're going to be one day since the election, yeah. two days since the election. Absolutely, because you know the results are they're going to be tight races, there are going to be arguments and fights. Yep. And then as soon as we're taking a deep breath after this and everybody's sworn into office, we start on 2024. Thanks so much for that. <laughs> Have a good morning. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, that's just how it goes. We are we are in an unending election cycle, it seems like, and I don't think it's going to be any different. Midterm elections, very, very watched around the country here in Arizona, but then we've got a presidential election that will be coming up right after that. So we're going to talk about this, as a matter of fact, in just a moment. Coming up at 835, Phoenix Police Chief Michael Sullivan will join us. We're going to talk with uh, the chief, the new chief in Phoenix, uh, now that he's had some time to kind of get his arms around the Phoenix Police Department. Uh, talk to him about staffing issues. Talk to him about the DOJ investigation and compliance. Uh, we're going to ask him about the video that's floating around the internet with a couple of officers who've been placed on leave. So all of that will be a part of the conversation, and it begins about 20 minutes from right now. So make sure you uh, set an alarm. Make sure you're here for that. I want to start by talking about the restrictions. As Jamie just said, we're talking elections. A judge put limitations on ballot watchers. Um, it's a shame that this had to happen. I think it was necessary, but it's a shame that it had to happen. Now, people have a First Amendment right. The judge acknowledged in this that there is a, an element of transparency when there are people that are watching ballot drop boxes, that it can add to transparency. The problem is when it goes so far, are you intimidating people? So there was an agreement that had come to and an order by the judge. And uh, it is, it's interesting to me what has happened. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit of what's going on, what they said is happening. It is, uh, it is restricting people from being within 75 feet of, of a ballot drop box, anybody who's a ballot watcher. Um, it also limits them. You're not allowed to yell or shout at people. Within that time, within that area. So per the order, members of an associated group of Clean Elections USA have been barred from coming within 75 feet of a ballot drop box or building housing a drop box, speaking or yelling at people within 75 feet of the drop box unless they're yelled at first or open carrying firearms or wearing body armor within 250 feet of drop boxes. So uh, it is also about the messaging here. I've, I've, from the very beginning, said these people have a right to do what they're doing. The way they're doing it is ridiculous, and they need to stop. They need to knock it off. Um, the identity, and I don't, I don't know if it's, if this has been addressed with face coverings. But why would people cover their faces? I mean, if you're proud and you're a patriot, and you call yourselves patriots, why would you cover your face? That means you don't want to be identified. If you're proud of what you're doing, what exactly is the problem? You know, um, it is an, it's intimidating behavior. It is negatively impacting the process and it's unnecessary. And that's the, that the issue for me more than anything else is why are you doing it? I, I talk about messaging a lot and the idea that if I'm going to argue a position, especially if I'm going to be an activist for a position, if I'm, you know, and I'm not, I haven't, I don't know that I've ever been an activist for a position, but I can't, I have very strong opinions on things. So if it's a second amendment issue or it's a pro-choice versus pro-life issue, um, I know what my position is going to be. And I also understand that if I'm arguing that point, I have to have the, the message has to be more important than I am. 
If you're truly an activist for a cause, you have to understand what your role is. If you're a person on stage and your job is to argue a position for something you truly believe in, are you damaging your position with the way you convey your message? That is something everyone should ask. And it isn't fake, but what it is is it's making sure that you're casting your position in the best light possible. If I'm going to have a conversation with someone that is pro-choice and I'm very pro-life, approaching that person respectfully matters to me because I think I can make a a very good argument for being pro-life. Without insulting someone, you know, I don't understand why you would, you know, call someone baby killer and and, you know, the people that go out and they they pick it out in front of abortion clinics. I'm not I don't understand that necessarily. And you're not going to find anybody more pro-life than I am. But to, you know, to take what is a very horrible day in a woman's life. And then scream at them or yell at them. And not all of them do it. But when that happens, it, it sends a, a, a crazy message that you're, you're talking about saving a life. You're talking about love. In most cases, it's a faith-based argument where you are someone that is saying, I am a, I'm a, a believer. I'm a Christian. And your behavior isn't Christian. You are, you are selling yourself and your message short. And in this case here, if these people truly believe that they are doing the Lord's work by monitoring ballot drop boxes, You think somehow you're preventing a stolen election. You have a right to be there. But you also have to realize in the current climate we have politically in this country, what you're doing is the way you're sending a message about what the world sees of election deniers. And I don't mean election denier in an insulting way. It's so funny that that phrase has become or is and is an insult. But when there are people that have asked questions about the 2020 election, go back and look at how how long this has been going on on both sides of the aisle. But what they do, what people do, and it's human nature, is they will focus on the extreme. So it's not the people that are watching ballot drop boxes and say, what are these people? Why? Why? You know, why would you do that? Whatever. And you walk up, you drop your ballot off and you laugh it off that there are people in lawn chairs and umbrellas and coolers and they're spending their days sitting 75 feet away from a building watching people walk in and out. You laugh it off and it's no big deal. But when they're in tactical gear and their face is covered, it sends a completely different message, a completely different message. And when you send that message, you are tainting and you are having other people dragged into that message. And you have to realize it. You can stand in your circle of friends and call each other heroes and pat each other on the back and use the word patriot and all that other stuff. But you know that's not how it appears. It appears intimidating, like you're ready for a fight. I came ready for a fight. And I've asked, I, I use this analogy, I, I still haven't gotten a response. I wish we could find, I wish we could find a way to talk to somebody that's dressing in tactical gear and doing some of the things that they're doing, some of the harassing things that they're doing to people and getting into confrontations with people. I wish I could have a conversation with them because you know as well as I do, if, if the people showed up at ballot drop box locations. And, you know, the sheriff of Maricopa County has been pretty clear that there won't, there won't be any uh, tolerance for people that are intimidating, intimidating people or breaking the law when it comes to voting. But they've also said it doesn't look good. And this was the sheriff's words on this show. It doesn't look good 
if we have a show of force where that also a presence of my deputies can be intimidating. So we are trying to balance that to make sure everybody's safe without, you know, overstepping. Now I'm using that's my word overstepping. But that was the word from the sheriff of Maricopa County that they have a job to do and they will do it. But they also don't want to be a part of the problem. But if the sheriff's office had shown up, so you got a day where, let's say there's three or four guys that show up, they're in tactical gear with their faces covered with bandanas or masks or whatever. So the sheriff's office gets two or three phone calls about this. So the sheriff says, hey, we have no idea what these people are going to do. So let's show up and bring out the SWAT vehicle. Let's bring out the armored vehicle. Let's bring out, you know, the tactical gear and the face shields and make sure we've got the pepper ball guns ready to roll if we have to. And we're going to stand a distance away, but we want them to see our presence and know that if they pull that firearm off their hip or whatever that tactical gear is for, that they are going to get engaged. The people at the ballot drop box locations would say, that's overkill. You don't need that gear. What are you doing? That is intimidating. And yet, you don't mind being intimidators. This is the part of all of this that makes me crazy, is is you are defeating any um, ability to convey yourself as nothing more than we're just making sure. Whether people agree with you or not, you saying, listen, you may not like that documentary that was made called 2000 Mules. We believe it. We think that if there's going to be election fraud and widespread election fraud, this is where it's going to happen. We don't believe those video cameras are enough. So we are going to be here and we are just going to watch and make sure that people are dropping off one ballot at a time. Then move on. But instead, you turn it into a standoff. And I think more than anything, it's a problem. It's a big problem. Coming up in a few moments, Phoenix Police Chief Michael Sullivan will join us, and we're going to talk about the Phoenix PD, his assessment of which direction the agency is going and how they're going to get there, the DOJ investigation and everything else about Phoenix PD coming up next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here this morning. Joining me in studio is Chief Michael Sullivan, Phoenix PD. Chief, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Let's, uh, I want to, there's so much that I would like to talk to. I think the people of Phoenix are very curious about, but let's start with now that you've been with Phoenix PD for a while and kind of gotten your arms around what the, what PD is all about here. uh, What is your overall assessment of Phoenix PD? Well, my, my first month here has been very, very busy. You know, I've been out meeting uh, with the men and women of the police department, making briefings, uh, being able to have those conversations one-on-one and, and hearing directly from the men and women out there doing this this very difficult work. I've also been out talking to community. I've been to a number of community meetings and, and really spent a lot of time listening and assessing. And, uh, you know, just my initial assessments, what I've seen is an incredible department that is – incredibly understaffed. Uh, we're working very hard to be able to, to, to fix that, uh, but, that, but that staffing is a real issue. So I'll put this out there right now. Anybody listening that uh, is looking for a job, an incredible job, please uh, come join us at the Phoenix Police Department. We're hiring. What is the key to recruitment? It, it is pay. We know that. But it, if, if what is the key in policing? Because it's such a unique job. What is the key for you in your mind to recruit good men and women that want to come be at Phoenix PD? Yeah, let me first by, start by thanking the mayor and council for the recent pay raise.
case. Uh, that's significant. Uh, but people don't join this job for the pay. They join because of the service and, and the commitment that you can have in improving community. So, uh, you know, having us uh, hard service and, and being willing to step forward and help folks uh, and really have that in, in your DNA, I think, is key uh, to anything else. And then you get to be part of a city like Phoenix that is growing and has all kinds of uh, amazing things happening. You know, I, I think we have a lot to offer here at the Phoenix uh, Police Department and in Phoenix itself. What do you think of the city? Now that you've been here for a while, what do you think of Phoenix as a city? It's an incredible city. Uh, I came at the right time of year, Mike. Yeah. Uh, I've talked to some folks uh, where I came from back east, and and uh, the weather's, let, let's just say, not near as nice back there right now. So let's talk about the DOJ investigation, because that's one of the major reasons why you're here in Phoenix, is to oversee that investigation. Where is it at, and which where is it going? Hey. And I would direct you to the DOJ uh, for uh, comment on where it's going. What I can tell you is uh, we've been talking with them. They were actually on site uh, here last week uh, doing part of their investigation. And uh, regardless of what their investigation finds, what I can tell you is we're going to line this department uh, to make changes, to make reforms. And uh, we're going to do that regardless of what the DOJ finds. You, um, you've been known to successfully monitor or, or get through one of this process somewhere else. What was the key to the success having done this before, and what are you bringing to the table to have that success here? You know, it's really becoming a self-assessing, self-correcting agency, and that's, uh, you know, a lot in, in just a, a short sentence, but being able to identify when there's problems, uh, not wait for somebody else to identify those problems, and correct them uh, immediately. So uh, you, that really is the key, and then working collaboratively with community, with the department itself uh, to instill to change. Let's talk about that collaboration part of it. Have you had an opportunity to speak to other leaders in policing around the Valley in this month that you've been here? Because Phoenix PD recently, working with other agencies, uh, made some major arrests in, in child sex trafficking, which is obviously a blight on every community. But it, w- it really seemed to be a team effort with other cities. Is that an important piece of it as well? Other cities and our state and federal partners as well. Uh, there's incredible partnership uh, around the Valley. Uh, I've got to meet a number of of those uh, leaders in law enforcement, and we need to strengthen those partnerships. Uh, you know, given the challenge that we have with staffing, that's one way that we can still be as effective as we need to be is uh, making sure that we have those partnerships uh, well developed. There was a question I asked you the first time you and I had an opportunity to talk, and you said you were going to take a look at where it was headed and how it was doing, and that was getting guns, illegal guns that have been modified off the street, and getting people off the street that aren't supposed to have them, that do have them, or selling them. Uh, how is that going? Is it something that's going to continue in Phoenix? Absolutely. It's something we're going to focus on. I think we've, before I got here, we had Operation Gun Crackdown. We've, I've extended that until December 1st. Uh, but even after December 1st, that's going to continue to be a focus. We've taken nearly 2,000 guns off the street uh, since July 1st. But, it, you know, that's a, that's a number. But I think what's more impressive is the quality of what we're taking off. 1,500 of those guns, over 1,500 of those guns are what we call crime guns, guns that are involved directly in crimes. Uh, you know, so taking the right guns off the street are critical, and then holding those folks accountable uh, that are in possession of those guns. That was the other question about accountability, because unless there are severe punishments attached to committing crimes like that, people don't really have any reason not to do it again. How is the relationship with the prosecutors in the city and with the county attorney's office? Are you feeling if they are, that they are um, a 
aggressively prosecuting these cases? I've met with prosecutors already multiple times since I've been here, uh, and they're committed to, uh, particularly the county attorney, to prosecuting these cases. All right. Uh, we have one more segment coming up with with the chief. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the city of Phoenix and continue what he sees moving forward. And we will ask him and talk about the video that has just surfaced with involving two of his officers. All that's coming up next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. We are back with Phoenix Police Chief Michael Sullivan. Chief, uh, I asked you this already about um, your assessment of Phoenix PD, but what has that motivated you to do? Like, what are you? What were your first steps? What's job one for you right now? You know, I've been focusing on making sure our officers have the skills they need, especially those first responding officers have the skills they need uh, to safely defuse situations. Uh, so everyone uh, ends a situation safely. That includes briefing training, uh, you know, talking about time, cover, distance, slow things down, uh, be able to tactically handle those situations, then bringing in nationally uh, based experts uh, in uh, de-escalation and, and being able to have scenario training that will, will spread across the entire department and then fi- finally a, a deep dive into our policies and, and making sure that we have the gold standard when it comes uh, to our policies here. And that's one thing the Department of Justice certainly will be looking at as they go through their investigation. Is it difficult to have time to do that when you're as short-staffed as you are? You've got to cover patrol. You've got to have officers on the streets. How do you take the time for them to be adequately trained in all of these tactics you're talking about? And we we have to do it. It's very, very challenging. That's one of the reasons uh, immediate brief uh, training in the briefings uh, so you don't have to pull officers off the street, but that's less than ideal. You need to pull, be able to pull officers off the street and, and take that dedicated time and it's something we just have to be committed to to make sure that it happens. Since we're on this topic, uh, I'm sure, I don't know if you've seen the video, but the video that surfaced online of two officers involved in an arrest where it appears if at least one officer kicked a suspect that was in handcuffs um, after they had been shot at by this suspect. Uh, can you kind of address how that happened and what, uh, what, what you saw or what you were thinking when you saw it? I, I do want to correct the record. I've seen a number of headlines that acted like we reacted uh, to this video. Uh, we acted immediately upon our investigation when it revealed uh, the things that, that, that are out in the public right now and, and immediately instituted an administrative and criminal investigation. I'll wait for that investigation to be complete uh, and and see wh- where we go from there. I, I think, you know, I believe in the process and uh, we'll see where that process takes us. There are people that believe that that is the norm and not the exception. Can, do you believe that that's the exception that the majority of officers in Phoenix and across the country don't behave in a way sometimes that are outside of policy like that? It takes the conversation away from the incredible work that's going on. That's what's frustrating uh, to me. Uh, We we talked about the sex trafficking case uh, where we took 16 uh, folks that were preying on on the most vulnerable of this this area. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about the nearly 2,000 guns that we've taken off the street. We don't talk about... uh, We we have a uh, Desert Horizon precinct. Their net team has seized 1.3 million fentanyl pills this year. Wow. That's incredible work. Uh, and that gets lost 
when other situations like this that, that are very rare come up. So while we're on this topic, the Office of Accountability and Transparency, um, how do you work with – do you have any connection in working with that office, and, and are they already – are they going to be have a say in, in this investigation? Are they going to do their own investigation into this? I've met with uh, the director of, of OAT several times since I've been here. Uh, we continue to uh, you know have those talks. He is monitoring several of the cases that have occurred since I've been here. I've not received a monitoring notice on this case, um, but we will uh, work with that office however we need to. Is there a timeline for this investigation in your mind? How quickly should this investigation be over so that uh, we can, the citizens of Phoenix and your office can make an assessment and, and have judgment on how this was handled? You know, I don't put pressure on investigators. Uh, whatever the investigation takes for a thorough and complete investigation, uh, that's what, what we'll do, and we'll turn that uh, investigation over to the county attorney. So in addition to a policy investigation, it is a criminal investigation. That's correct. Well, I appreciate the time, as always. Um, it is, uh, it's got to be interesting um, to have come to this, you know, this at a time, the time that you have. Any final words for the citizens of Phoenix and for your officers that may be listening? Yeah. This is an incredible uh, community, incredible department. I'm blessed to uh, uh, have this opportunity right now, and I look forward to meeting folks that I haven't met across the valley. Chief, I appreciate the time today. Thank you. All right, that's Chief Michael Sullivan, and we are going to have more conversations with Phoenix PD and and the command staff. I think that being informed and the chief's willingness to come in and talk to us about what's happening in the city is is a great step. And that's I think the citizens just want transparency. We don't expect perfection out of anyone, but what we want is transparency when mistakes are made, but also when there needs to be some uh, some good comments and some compliments handed out. So we'll be back here in just a few moments.